1: timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. The Phoenix Suns are one win away from the Western Conference finals after going up 3-0 against the Denver Nuggets. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how you doing? What is there even to say, my friend? I <laughs> almost
2: considered pitching to you that we just came on for a 30-minute episode of chanting Suns in four for this one the, <laughs> <laughs> the entire time because... Um, as convincing a win as it gets for the Phoenix Suns. And now now they're up 3-0. Uh, we know what Denver is up against. They're trying to do something now that uh, 142 teams have tried and failed in the past. It's not to say it's impossible. Mm-hmm. I'd say we're in good shape.
1: Yeah. I mean, the main reason I think we're in good shape is that they tried a bunch of different things and it didn't work. They it have, just didn't work. They have no momentum. Yeah, Nothing.
2: Here's where I want to start tonight, DeAndre Ayton. A perfect place to start. Incredible. I I don't I like. That's where I want to start, but I didn't even know what to say. As as impactful the. For a second year player, sorry, third year player. <laughs> Forgetting how old he is. For a third-year player to be playing like this in his first playoff series, completely unfazed by the MVP Nikola Jokic, a perfect example of a game where you can't just look at the box score because Jokic had a monster stat line, 32 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists, but 13 for 29 from the field. And I said Jokic – or sorry, uh, Aiton came into this game having held Jokic to 24 of 60 shooting through games 1 and 2. That's 40%. The stats have not updated yet, but I guarantee you it was under 50% again tonight. In fact, I think it was probably pretty close to that 40% number again. Three games in a row that he has just absolutely matched him physically. He's never gotten in foul trouble once. Yes. Uh, we've, we've never seen those sort of critical miscues and, and you know miscommunication on defense and just those, those little errors that you would expect from a young player. He looks like a 10-year veteran in his prime out there locking down the MVP and it's, it's amazing, Mike, because I just, even in my wildest dreams, I did not think that that this is how we'd be talking about DeAndre Ayton in his first playoff run. It's, it's truly remarkable what he's doing right now,
1: both against the Lakers and now against the Nuggets. His development in his career as an NBA player, so the three seasons he's been an NBA player, is remarkable. But just isolating this single season... You could talk about his development being his development being remarkable just this season alone. There were times when we talked about it throughout this season when he was on the court. For the beginning of the season, the Suns were at their worst at times, and now they are by far at their best when he's on on the court. Uh, to a point where we were terrified of him being in foul trouble in this series, and that's not been an issue. And I think that's not been an issue. Because of the level of discipline in the way that he plays defense against Jokic. It's incredible to watch because mm-hmm. they do attempt to bait him into fouls, Jokic has, or anyone else, and he just does not foul. He's sound. He's a in robot. His defense. He's a fucking
2: robot. He doesn't fall <laughs> for anything. I'm serious. Yeah. He does. One foul in 37 minutes against Jokic. Yeah.
1: And, an and MVP, and,
2: and by the end, Jokic was just grasping for anything he could get. He was complaining to the refs. He got a tech because because he was just trying to bait him into contact that you know wasn't really there. It it, it the the fouls he was trying to get were basically non-existent. Yeah, I mean, and 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 again, just stressing the point. I know everyone knows this by now, but we've been saying it all season it's not about the stat line with DeAndre Ayton like you look at his stat line tonight and and the reason this is so important is because we all watch the game more people are watching the Suns now but honestly the vast majority of the NBA community is still not watching these games the the types of trolls y'all interact with on on NBA Twitter they're not watching these games 10 points 15 rebounds 0 blocks not the type of stat line that pops off the page necessarily to tell you, wow, this guy was the most impactful player on the floor. I, I guess you could only debatably say he was the most impactful player on the floor tonight, because other guys were so good on offense, but at least on defense, no doubt, most impactful player on the floor. Um, Aiton has had games before where he puts up 20 and 15, and he doesn't he just doesn't look that good. And then he has games like this where he has 10 and 15 and zero blocks, which is why I say blocks are a garbage stat. They say virtually nothing about defense. He has stat lines like this where he just dominates that end of the court as to perfection as much as he possibly could. And unless you're watching the games, uh, you really can't make that final determination of exactly what his value is. And it's not just about the fact that the Suns won the game because obviously people are happier when when the Suns win games. But no, the Suns won this game because of DeAndre Ayton. Like, mm-hmm. he's the number one thing I wanted to talk about in this game. Devin Booker did his thing. Chris Paul did his thing. They yeah. they, perfectly, uh, they, they perfectly attacked the Nuggets. I guess you could call it an adjustment. It wasn't a smart adjustment, and we'll talk about that. <laughs> we'll talk about all that in Looking a second. Looking forward to talking about that, yeah. Talk about all that in a second because that's important too. But it starts on defense, and the Nuggets have not been able to get into a rhythm offensively this entire series and that comes down to DA. It's it's other guys too playing great team defense. Everyone's playing their role, but DA's at the center of it. I said and and you know what? I'm totally okay eating crow for this cuz people gave me shit about this several months ago. There was one time in in the middle of the season I was not happy with where DA's focus was on a game-to-game basis. I said, "You can't call this guy a defensive anchor." This was about when the Suns were 500, I think a little bit after. Um, in, in like January, maybe it was early February by that point. But I was like, hes you can't call this guy a defensive anchor. He's not playing like a defensive anchor. Since the All-Star break, he's playing like a defensive anchor uh, uh, in the truest sense of the word. And I can't say enough positive things about his game right now and where his development is headed because he has just been amazing.
1: Well, I, I'm really glad that you brought it up in this game because I think in a lot of ways, the attention is going to go to other guys. And I think those guys rightfully deserve attention but this is the type of game where the number one pick had a massive massive impact on the game and it deserves credit as well and I think what's pretty amazing about this game is that when we talk about him defensively we commonly talk about giving him almost less to do because the idea is that he can focus on uh, a specific matchup. like We we all remember his rookie year. He had games where he guarded Giannis. He had games where he guarded LeBron, and that was just his job in those games. But this game, his job was Jokic, but he still was switching out to guys, whether it be on the perimeter or at the rim, being that same rim protector and finding ways uh, to trust his teammates to gain rebound, which worked relatively well. Obviously, Jokic had... An incredible uh, statistical performance on rebounds, but it just didn't affect the game in the way that they wanted it to and they needed it to in order for them to win. So he had, he was juggling a lot of different responsibilities in this game. It wasn't just that his job was to lock down Jokic. And by the way, there was one stat in the middle of the game where I believe he was, Jokic was shooting four for 12, while yeah, DeAndre Ayton was gar- guarding him. And now mm-hmm. the stats haven't updated yet. We record these immediately after the games. I imagine the stats are still relatively impressive, even after Jokic got a few to go in later on. Uh, they were not good shots, a lot of them. You know, they were good shots for an MVP in that he can still make them, but they were contested shots. They were not wide open. And and just to be able to do those two things this well in a game, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm glad you brought it up because he deserves a lot of the credit for what went down tonight.
2: Yeah, i I really he's was amazing, Mike. Honestly, that's that's all I have to say about it. Is if we get this sustained effort out of him, then you know, I don't I don't want to bog down the conversation too much with contract discussions because there is still time. I, I, I think it can wait. I think it can wait until the summer when the run is officially over. Let's see what happens. You know, a series against um, the Jazz would be much different uh, than a series against the Clippers, which would be much different than a series against the Nets. All of those potential possibilities that are left for the Suns, we're going to see a lot of unique, different sort of combinations of, of these guys and adjustments and different matchups, and it, it'll just be interesting. Um, but the trajectory he's on right now, I just did not expect him to be here in, in year three. I'm going to be perfectly honest, and
1: it's, it's, it's really encouraging. It's really encouraging. I find it kind of amazing in in this series, the starters are kind of doing all the work in in a lot of ways. Um, They're just really blowing out teams. They're blowing out the nuggets uh, when the starters are on the floor. Um, It wasn't as balanced scoring as the last few games. And I think we're going to get into that. But like The bench was good in this game, and they scored points in this game, but there wasn't moments where, like, in the Lakers series where Cameron Payne just went on a seven, eight-point run by himself in, like, a 90-second span, and it changed the entire momentum of the game. In a lot of ways, the Suns are surviving the minutes when the bench is on the floor. Even though the bench is still playing well, it's just, like... They're just really outscoring them. They're, it's not a good matchup for the Nuggets while the uh, while the starters on the floor. You look at the plus-minus for the starters, plus 18 with DeAndre Ayton on the floor, plus 19 with Devin Booker, plus 15 with Mikhail Bridges, plus 18 with Jay Crowder, plus 8 with Chris Paul, who I think was just missing shots early in the game, and that's what affected that. Missing shots he normally makes. And then it's just they closed it out really well with Chris Paul on the floor. And the starters were not quite the same as far as plus minus. Not that that fully matters. I just think it's kind of interesting and indicative of how the game's going. Those five are on the floor. And the way that those five are playing together is the <laughs> highest level that they've played this entire season by like a pretty large amount. They, remember, they really know
2: how they, they play together. I feel like now's a good time to bring up, remember when the Suns were starting Frank Kaminsky?
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh and what, what did you hell, say at that time what by the, the way
2: what the hell was that what what the hell was that entire phase and the, the only reason i say that is because the the reason you yeah you just said like what did we say at the time we said i want to build continuity because you were building for this who's gonna this play is, in the playoffs yeah this, this is exactly why what we th- said this is why continuity is important everyone talks about continuity all the time i think it was rj who said on the broadcast today that this starting lineup has logged more minutes together than any other five-man lineup in the NBA. Obviously, we're seeing the the benefits of that sort of come to fruition in the playoffs. These guys just know each other's tendencies by now and and they are really meshing in a way that again, I didn't even expect in the playoffs. So that's also been amazing to see. But um but yeah, I mean the bench is still holding their own. Sharich uh, looks yeah. more confident. This uh this series than he has in I don't know how long um campaign has played solid in every game he just hasn't like blown up for for fifteen plus, uh, Tory Craig's doing his thing
1: so, not a bad guy on the roster right now honestly, yeah and look Booker playing forty minutes eight playing thirty six right uh Crowder thirty three Chris Paul thirty seven like they're playing a lot of minutes Chris Paul by the way looks to be, if he's not a hundred percent back he's close to hundred percent back healthy because he looks right in, in now. One uh, one
2: other point I want to make on the starting lineup thing, though, is continuity is so important, and you're seeing that with the Jazz now too because they're the other team besides us that, I mean, look, they don't have Mike Conley, but other than that, they're the team that kind of had their team together all healthy throughout the season. They were, they were relatively lucky um, with injuries, and we're seeing the benefits of continuity for both of these teams, at least with the rest of their starting lineup now. I just think it's fascinating that we're in a situation where truly – on the cusp of a Western conference finals between the number one and the number two seeds where it seems like both fan bases. And I know we're not in the habit of like defending jazz fans here and whatever. I know there's a, there's a rivalry and whatnot, but honestly, I think it's going to suck that we're on the cusp of something where both fan bases are just going to have to like defend it to everyone else around the league. And, like, like, these are clearly the two best basketball teams in, in the conference. They've earned the right. We are on the cusp. Again, I don't want to jinx either team. But we are on the cusp of being able to say that these are the two teams that have earned the right to be in the Western Conference Finals. And you're still going to have to fight the narratives of, oh, this guy was injured in this series. That guy was injured. Um, you know, the, these these are small market bullshit teams. We want the Lakers. We want the Clippers. Yada, yada, yada. It's just, I don't know. We're getting really good basketball, Mike. We, we, well, we could get some really good basketball, but it's going to be annoying. That's all I'm saying. I'm looking ahead a little bit.
1: For Suns fans who feel the need to defend the, I don't know, the product, just don't. <laughs> just don't. Who cares? This is really, really good basketball that we're seeing, and, and maybe the not really from the Nuggets in a lot of ways, uh, but from the Suns, from the Jazz, at times, the Clippers. It's- I think the Clippers were kind of a garbage team for the last two games defensively but like this is still high 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 level basketball played by really good teams if yeah. people don't understand that they don't want to it's anyone not, it's like they're trying to exactly
2: anyone who is not a an outright diehard lakers fan who's still to this day because you see them sometimes you run into them in the wild uh, it still, like, is like, oh, the Lakers should have been in the second round. Like, we wanted to see the Lakers, or, or if they're still, you know, if they want to see the Clippers, if they want to see these other big market teams, especially with the Lakers, though. If they want to see the Lakers over the Suns, they want to see KCP brick 15, 20 shots in a row in the second round because they think that's a better product, then that is clear as day a stupid person that is just simply a stupid person and they're not worth your time now the problem is and i'm trying to be better we're all trying to be better we have new year's resolutions all of us um i'm trying to be better about not arguing with those people on twitter and not giving them the time of day and i would encourage you guys to do the same when you see them the problem is that stupid people are consumers too um so you know i do like on the one hand i hear you i don't want to have to defend the whole ratings thing on the other hand, I want other people to appreciate this stuff as, as much as I do, and yeah, it's just it's just going to hurt. I'm going to have to kind of internally fight that battle. I can already feel it coming.
1: Hey, the people that really love basketball will appreciate it. By the they way, will. on the on Dario Strach, how about <laughs> two fake DHOs that got points both times from Dario Strach in this game, mm-hmm. including a pump fake that drew a foul? That, to me, to see him... Confident enough to fake that DHO, turn and dribble down the lane. Once uh, I think two pump fakes, one it actually went in, the other he was fouled. That's kind of where I felt like, okay, now he's got that confidence back. He so looks a little bit more confident.
2: He's had a really funny development throughout this season where I came out of the gate. I remember I was posting a Dario Charge pump fake thread because the first two months of the season, he was it was automatic. Like he was fooling guys every time with that pump fake. And then it got written on the scouting report because, you know, he switched positions this year. Centers weren't used to guarding him. So I I could see how that would fool them the first time he plays them. And then it was written on the scouting report. They should have known already. This guy can't jump past two inches. The only way he's going to score on you is if he he does a pump fake. Don't fall for the pump fake. And we saw for three months straight everything Dario tried would get swatted out of the stratosphere. So to see him do it tonight, we finally come full circle where it it worked and then it didn't work and then it 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 didn't work so much to the point where it worked again. So I'm I'm happy for Dario. He's strung together a couple good performances in a row. If you can get it where he can just make like most of his layups, just over 50% and he hits his threes and he does the whole thing where he plays out of out of the elbow area as a playmaker, hey, you're getting everything you need out of that guy. And and also I thought it was important to note um this was not a game where Monty is feeling more confident about the rotations now because he didn't have to match Aiton with Jokic every single minute. He played Dario and Jokic for about four or five minutes in this game. And I know that's not a lot, but it is more than we saw in game one, for example, when it just felt like like they wouldn't even dare try it. And now they're willing to try it. And that's also just a good sign for for where his confidence is.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Let's talk about how the Nuggets defended the Suns because I think this is where uh, truly the Nuggets... I think showed that they don't really have the personnel. It's not really a schematic problem with what the Nuggets are doing. It's more about the guys. They don't have the guys that can really do the types of things that makes the Suns uh, struggle offensively. They just don't. They can't defend the Suns. <laughs> That's really what it boils down to. Um, we talked about it on our last episode. What could they potentially do? Jokic plays at the level of the screen. This is something that we've talked about for those who don't know what I mean. That means Jokic is as high as possible on screens. That gives him the option to trap, uh, like Devin Booker, when Devin Booker's coming around to pick and roll. The Suns play a lot of pick and roll offense. Uh, so that gives him the option to trap. He can potentially uh, show or hedge, which means he comes out and basically tags Devin Booker and then runs back to get the role man, DeAndre Ayton. Um, now they dropped him back a little bit further. And when you drop back further on the Suns, that's what the Suns want. That's what Chris Paul wants. That's why the Suns are favored against a lot of teams that play gigantic centers. Because then you have centers in a, in a position where they're backed up against the basket and they're forced to move their feet because both Devin Booker and Chris Paul can shoot mid-range shots and just kill you from that mid-range area. And because both are good passing, you know, good at passing, if they help off of anywhere else on the court... They can swing the ball, and because everyone else can pass, it can move even more times if they continue to recover. And that's how the Suns continue to find open shot after open shot after Mm -hmm. open shot. They're just too fundamentally
2: solid to guard with a drop coverage. So, you know, the thing that the Nuggets took away tonight, to an extent, uh, is that corner three that was killing them so much in games one and two, right? Because the Suns didn't have those passes straight to the corners. Now, actually, the Suns still did hit some corner threes too. So I wouldn't say they exactly took it all away, but, but you know what I mean? They took away that initial pass that Booker and Paul were both making, but at the expense of just giving those guys, whatever they wanted in the mid range. I mean, the two of them had 55 points combined on 39 shots, which is very efficient offense. And part of the problem for Denver is this game was also officiated in a way where it wasn't just Chris Paul got to whatever spot he wanted, it was also Chris Paul snakes the pick and roll, gets you know, backs up a little bit. I thought you were you were spot on about this. You were like they're dropping Jokic back, which means the Suns are pulling back a little bit too and getting more space to allow those guys to snake the pick and roll, which I thought was an astute observation. But once Chris Paul does that, he gets a defender on his back, he flails a little bit. We can admit that he did it. You know, the Nuggets flailed too, but Chris Paul definitely flailed tonight, um, and you know he got to the free or throw line. He, or just stops. it just stops, and you know it's the Trey Young thing too. He does that too, but Chris Paul does it as well. And he got seven. He got seven free throws tonight. Booker got another four. Um, so that was eleven points for them right there because they didn't miss a single one. It's just you can't you can't guard those guys like that. And so you might you may be asking yourself, okay, if we're telling you uh, if we're telling you that you can't guard Devin Booker and Chris Paul with a trap you can't guard them with uh, a show a high show or whatever and you can't guard them with a drop then what's left well what's left is either you zone up on them which teams you know teams will throw different looks at guys throughout a game they'll they'll zone up on you for like uh, portions of a quarter but it'll never be at the NBA level it's never your primary defensive coverage it's just kind of to confuse you for a couple minutes mm-hmm. um, so and the that- Suns have
1: too good a ball movement they can break zones
2: they they can. They can. Um, but all that really leaves is switching. And we've said from the beginning of this series, the Nuggets can't switch. And why can't they switch, Mike? There's a couple reasons, but which one, which one are we really focusing on here? They don't have the guys. They don't have the guys, but specifically, <laughs> which guy are they playing like 35-plus oh. minutes a game who got posted
1: Michael Porter three Jr. games in a row yes and, Mike and look yeah. the reality is it's two guys that can't switch but we'll, we'll let's talk about Michael Porter Jr. first uh, the Suns just absolutely demolished Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> on defense in this game look we talked about the the defensive scheme of dropping back on those pick and rolls but the other thing they did is pick on the worst defender and this is I think one of the main differences between the regular season in the playoffs is once you find a weak spot in the playoffs as a coach your job is to really hammer at that weak spot as much as possible be as the Suns Twitter uh, says relentless with that take advantage of it as much as possible and I think this is where Mikael Bridges deserves a lot of credit because what the Suns were doing at first and I think they actually did pretty well at this is they were trying to get MPJ on Devin Booker, and anytime MPJ was on Devin Booker, it was just jab step between the legs, that sort of right-to-left crossover, and then he was drawing fouls. He got the first one at the three-point line, which actually ended up being a two-foot on the line, and got another one later in the game. Um, but when, this, when the Nuggets were doing a better job, I think, of hiding Michael Porter Jr. just off to the side with Mikhail Bridges on him, what I thought they did was fascinating. They put McHale Bridges in the weak side corner, so the opposite side that they're running the pick and roll. They didn't just swing the ball to McHale Bridges to allow him to sort of isolate with ball handling. They ran a pick and roll on the weak side. I'm sorry, on the strong side, the opposite side of the court from De- from McHale Bridges. And then they swung the ball to McHale Bridges at that point. And what that did is it sucked Mikhail, oh, sorry, Michael Porter Jr. off into a little bit of no man's land where he's mm. afraid of the rim getting... Uh, dunked on if you will and then swinging it to Mikael Bridges in the corner now Michael Porter Jr. is running out and trying to to really close out hard on Mikael Bridges Mikael Bridges doesn't have that sort of left to right ball handling yet but what he can do is read a defender that's closing hard and attack him on his weak foot so Mm -hmm. and for those who don't know it's the front foot the foot that's planted forward you attack that foot, it's harder for defenders to turn their hips. And if you're bad at turning your hips, like Michael Porter Jr. Or if your entire back is made of Play-Doh. <laughs> yes, then <laughs> you have Mikael Bridges in front of you. You're in a bad position. And all of a sudden, you have Jokic, a bad defender, and Michael Porter Jr., a bad defender. And Mikhail Bridges did a really, really good job of taking advantage Facts. of that. In this specific game, a really good job. Facts. He's, to your point, doesn't have the left to right shake.
2: That's just not Mikhail's game, but he's an, enough of a straight line driver and has enough explosiveness off his dominant foot that, yeah, he's he's going to kill MPJ in those situations when he's moving in space. And and also, to Mikhail's credit... We've seen him attack close out so many times this season, but I've said this a million times. Uh, it's it's another step for him to really see it through to the end and attack the rim and get to the free throw line and go for those layups. He did that several times tonight. So I credit Mikael Bridges for really stepping up as, yes, uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker were the number one and number two options in this game, but Mikael was almost as dynamic a scoring threat in, in some stretches as those guys, and and so he was, he was really good. Like, when you have... When you have a player like Mikhail who can attack a mismatch like that, like you can identify it and then actually run plays for him, it's so much different from just the typical BS kind of 3-and-D mold player you think of, of just these standstill shooters in the corners. He's just, he's developed into so much more than that. And the fact that he can take advantage of these types of mismatches uh, also bodes really well for the Suns' future, short-term
1: and long-term. The other player I want to talk about on the Nuggets, and I... <laughs> He, Nikola Jokic deserves the MVP. Yeah. He deserved it. He, do, he does so many things well. So, so many things. But what he also does, I think, for me, is he exemplifies exactly why it's important for a center to be a sound defender in space. Because he's not. He's just not that. And I think it's tough because... Nobody wants to say this about Nikola Jokic in this series because he's doing so much to keep the Nuggets in it, but it's a different thing when a guard is doing that much on offense to keep a team in it and then incapable defensively because they're not the last line of defense. The center is the last line of defense, so when your last line of defense is bad defensively, that's just really bad, and 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 you and I, Sam, <laughs> I, yeah, have been talking about this literally for years, and not because of Nikola Jokic, because of DeAndre Ayton. Well, the most important yeah. defensive center, the the most important defensive position is at the center position because that's the last guy that can defend the rim. Well, it's and because we,
2: yeah, in in Ayton's rookie year, he was that. He was bad. He was in bad. space yes. exactly. Yeah,
1: in, in space, and he's so 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 good in space now. Uh, that it's just such a different thing, and I think the modern NBA, if you want to break it down to these NBA Twitter terms that people use, in the modern NBA, your center cannot be this bad at defense in a playoff series, and like Nikola Jogic can be better at defense, and I think this is this is a really bad matchup for, he for him. Be he can be better. I agree with you, sort of. He can
2: be better, but... I don't know. I just, I just feel weird about casting
1: all the blame on Jokic in this series. It's not you know all I mean? of the blame. Yeah. I just think you. I just think at some point, and I think people are afraid to do this. Maybe part of me just wants to be someone that's willing to say this at this point. Uh, it's more of a philosophical thing when it comes to basketball. It's just that how can you, how can you play a center? How can you play someone that can be picked on this much defensively and just be successful? And yes, you do all of the things offensively that makes you good. It's just a totally different thing when those o- things offensively are coming from the center position. And I think at some point, people are going to have to talk about that. The difference, if you will, between Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. Joel Embiid does a ton offensively, yet less than Jokic. But he's also that backline defender that really doesn't make a lot of mistakes in that position. And it's just, mm. I don't know. You can It's just tough for me to watch a guy who can get picked on this much. I know he's the MVP and I know how much he does. I just if you gave him the sun's wing rotation around him, it, it
2: it's so context dependent. Like give him something other than MPJ and Austin Rivers. Absolutely. Please. No, you know, you're if absolutely you gave him right. if you replaced MPJ and Austin Rivers with Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder, it would be night and day. So I don't know, I mean he could be a lot better in this series. I understand philosophically the argument you're making about being the last line of defense. Uh, we're just gonna have to see you know like the the NBA is in a pretty unique place right now Um, you've got guys like Jokic who who's still pretty young he's got plenty of time to get healthier squads and and try and make more deep playoff runs I'm acting as if his season is guaranteed to be over it's not guaranteed but you know what I mean Um, a guy like Karl-Anthony Towns that's gonna weigh over his career his entire career it's gonna weigh over him Uh, so yeah he either needs to get better on defense or win in spite of it, um, but yeah, someone needs to basically prove you wrong, <laughs> and so we're going to have to see who it'll who it'll be, if anyone.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird thing, too, with Carl Anthony Towns, not that I want to go on too long of a tangent here, but he can move laterally, he just doesn't, <laughs> and that that's a completely different thing, where Nikola Jokic, I'm not sure if he can move laterally too much, and that's a different thing with him, and I think the Suns, if you want to project forward at all, which I'm not willing to do for a long extended period of time here as well, uh, I mean, Gobert plays a drop, <laughs> and he and he drops pretty pretty far back, and that's just an interesting matchup for the Suns too. And and I don't know, it's going to be interesting to see if that does happen, right? Mm. Suns versus Jazz. Yeah. What are they going to do? How, what kind of adjustments are they going to make against? Well, the Well, I do who think. Prefer I- that?
2: I do think Gobert can switch a little bit more than he's given credit for. Um, he's definitely more than Jokic. Yeah, de- a lot more than Jokic. Right. So I, you know, he does drop primarily, but um, I, I also think the Jazz. It's just their their wings. They've got.
1: I don't know. That's going to be a really interesting matchup. How They're fascinating so- is it that for the whole year we talked about and we really spent a lot of time breaking down exactly why switching is the problem for the Suns' offense, and they played. A first-round series where they kind of had the guys to switch, but not really. Yeah. A second-round series where they did not have the guys to switch, and they could potentially play a third-round series against the Jazz where they prefer to not switch. Yeah, it's it's tough.
2: Um, it's surprising. It, it, it makes me feel really lucky that the Jazz are playing the Clippers, but on the other hand, the Jazz are just such an amazing offensive team. They're They're incredible shooters at every position except except for Gobert, obviously but otherwise they're incredible shooters at every position and especially to see them have the series they're having right now without conley is really impressive but uh i guess they're just they're really well built uh because because they don't have the greatest point of attack defenders i've ever seen but guys like royce o'neill boyan bogdanovich is doing really well in that series they're slightly bigger wings that are just really well built to match up on Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. But in a series against Chris Paul and Devin Booker, it would be completely different. They're not. They're they're more uh, strength and less speed. So I don't know. That's going to be a really interesting matchup. I should probably start researching it <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. But
1: uh. But yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the Clippers do have a chance to come back and win that series, especially no compared to the Nuggets. Coming well let me just the Suns.
2: let me just point out teams that go down 2-0 in series like just based on this is just based on history it's not projecting forward based on the current teams but it's just history says if you go down 2-0 you still have like a seven percent chance of winning historically like i said at the beginning of the episode if you go down 3-0 zero percent based on history that doesn't mean you can't do the completely unprecedented and be the first but But those are just what the odds say. So the Clippers can definitely come back. It would be like a less than 1 in 10 phenomenon if they do.
1: Totally possible, though. I spent the entire second half of this game thinking about the ways that the Nuggets could win game four, assuming the Suns won this game. And the only thing I could really come up with, because I don't think it's a schematic thing, What it would take to me is a really poor shooting night from the Suns and a really, really like otherworldly shooting night from the Nuggets. I mean, it would just have to be a variance game.
2: My first impression is Michael Porter Jr. needs to have a Michael Porter Jr. game like he did in the the Portland series where he had 22 points in that first quarter or whatever. But uh, another part of me almost says, maybe just don't play. (laughs) Just don't play him like he's been he's been that bad on defense maybe play him 15 minutes and just give Will Barton more minutes and honestly maybe you'd have a better chance
1: yeah it wouldn't surprise me if they changed up the starting lineup took Faku out who didn't even play that much in the second half as well Uh, I think that might be their sort of desperation maneuver but for the record um, Michael Malone said he thinks the training staff is going to be mad at him for the amount of minutes he played Will Barton tonight (laughs) Uh, so it's just a little bit of a danger zone that they're getting into. Um, one more game that that's happening this weekend that could be the last game of the series. If the suns find a way to win, obviously we're going to be back to cover that one. Do you have anything else before we, uh, call it quits on this one? Um, we haven't done this in a while, so we're getting a lot
2: of new listeners right now, which is always awesome. If you like the content, uh, leave us a five-star review on Apple podcasts. I beg for that basically like once every month or two, but, uh, But, yeah, you guys would be surprised how much that helps us. Oh, you know what else? Getting the right eyeballs. YouTube video. Oh, oh, (laughs) yes, fuck, yes, you're right. I literally spent, like, all day uh, (laughs) on that after I got off work, too. Um, Yeah, check out our YouTube video. I just posted a video about um, just the sons, like, what their identity is. You know, I, I think my motivation for making it was I was getting frustrated about some of the national conversation about they just don't get it. (laughs) it's like you know this is a this is a serious contending team now they're in the second round and there are still a lot of voices where I felt like they just don't get it they give a lot of credit to Chris Paul Chris Paul deserves an enormous amount of credit but it can't just end there that can't be the end of the story and so I want to talk about what really separates the Suns from the rest of the pack Um, as a contender I settled on their playmaking which I think if you're gonna talk about the Suns you need to focus in on their playmaking their ball movement it really begins and ends there they're good at a lot of other things but that's the thing that sets them apart. And so I made a video about it. Um, check that out. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't. Um, but also, yeah, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because that that helps a, a ton. It's totally free for you to do
1: as well. So, uh, yeah, that's all I got. We'll see you on Sunday. Yeah, thank you everyone for listening. We will be back after the game on Sunday. Hopefully that will be the end of the second round and the Suns will be in the Western Conference Finals. Thanks, everyone.